When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a 415 You're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415 hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. Welcome into the training camp 2023 edition of the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. That's Mark Rainey. I'm Evan Giddings. Check us out by downloading the Odyssey app. Check us out on YouTube on 95.7 The Game YouTube channel. Subscribe and like both while you are there. Mark, it's finally here. The 49ers are about to report, or they have reported, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, we're recording this on Monday They are reporting to NFL training camp. The veterans are on their way to Santa Clara. They're about to hit the field, and it's go time, man. What's going on? How you feeling? I'm excited. Yeah, I'm doing great. Looking forward to uh, some uh, fresh content that will be poured out. We finally are going to have a a lot of not only uh, comments from Kyle Shanahan and players and, and John Lynch. I know they're both speaking Tomorrow as we're recording this Tuesday, today, to most of you listening this, listening to this. Uh, so looking forward to that. But then also just being able to react to live action reps. Again, I know you kind of did that a little bit at OTAs, but it's nowhere near the same, of course, in training camp. So I'm just fired up to, to finally be at this point of the calendar where you have stars, you know, showing up to camp and and you actually can react to things because the 49ers have a lot of things set in stone. I know we'll get into it throughout this episode and, and the rest of training camp and, and preseason, Evan, but there's still a lot on the line and a lot of positions to be decided. So while they have a lot of their starters set, I mean, there's a reason why there's 53-man rosters. Every spot is really, really important, and I'm excited to see how it all shakes out because – one surprise here, one miss there. That could be the difference in this team winning a Super Bowl or not. It really could. Yeah, it could be an elbow ligament. You never know. <laughs> um, look, we're going to get into the position battles. We're going to get into some of the non-quarterback aspects of this football team that, of course, are very important. But the first question we have for the episode is pretty loaded, Mark. And that <laughs> is, uh, what is the biggest question heading into 49ers training camp? I'll... Uh, let you answer this one, even though I got an idea about where you might be going. Uh, well, I think the obvious one to me is when do you see Brock Purdy? Uh, this is kind of um, an interesting one because I think most people have expected, I've expected this, that the 49ers would put him on the pup list, the physically unable to perform list. Not a bad thing. There's two separate pup lists. There's one for training camp and one for the actual season. If you're placed on PUP during the actual season, what, you're you're required to miss at least four games, I, I think is the number. That's not what this preseason training camp PUP list is. Uh, it just means that, you know, he's, he's not counting against the guys that you can have in camp. Um, so that's the general expectation, and who knows, by the time that you out there are listening to this, perhaps Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have spoke and have said he is going on PUP. 
But the fact that they haven't said anything about it yet, we don't know for sure if he is going to go on pup, Evan. Um, it at least maybe leaves a, a chance that you could see Brock Purdy this week. The 49ers can put him on pup to start training camp and then bring him off um, and, and do whatever you want there. But once a guy does start practicing, he can't go on that list. Excuse me, on that list. So it's kind of just a if you got to be 100% certain of a guy's readiness if you're going to put him out there and and practice. Uh, so again, with all that said, if he does practice this week, even as soon as tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, the 49ers have to be extremely confident in Brock Purdy's readiness physically to do so. Uh, so what I'm keeping an eye out for is when do we see Brock Purdy? The question related to that is, does he go on pup to begin training camp, which we should know relatively soon this week? Yeah, I think, look, Brock Purdy's recovery timeline, that was one that I had written down. Uh, Nick Bosa, when he's when is he going to get his extension? That's a big Because one. I think that, look, the, the number is going to be astronomical. It's going to set records. He's the best defensive player, arguably, in football currently standing. He's entering his prime. He's going to get more than Aaron Donald per year. But when does he get paid? Because I've seen a bunch of different reports floated out there, Mark. I saw on our very station, Dave Lombardi of The Athletic, talk about how it's going to come down to the deadline and don't expect it anytime soon. And then I was reading in the SF Chronicle today, Eric Branch, their 49ers reporter, uh, quote, figures could be consummated this week. Uh, so I don't know exactly when that's going to happen. Now, consummated, is that an agreed-upon term? Is that actually in writing? Who knows? Um, but I'm very curious to see what Nick Bosa's extension is and when it comes down. And then my third kind of big question for this training camp, Mark, is what Debo Samuel is going to look like. Because he admittedly came into training camp last year out of shape. He did not have a great season by his own metrics, even though the 49ers were wildly successful with him underperforming. And now with a full training camp, I'm curious to see what he is going to do because he also wasn't a full participant in their offseason mini camp, and we didn't see him out there a whole lot on OTAs. So from first to third, Brock Purdy's recovery timeline is absolutely one. The quarterback, undoubtedly. The second, when is Nick Bosa going to get his bread? And thirdly, is Debo Samuel going to be the 2021 version of himself coming into camp? Or is he going to be the 2022 version of himself? Yeah, those are all good. I have those on my list as well to to go after your second one to add on there a little bit. Uh, Nick Bosa's contract extension. You think back to last year, it was the Debo Samuel contract extension. There was a lot more drama around that one, of course, because he had reportedly requested a trade and, and all of that drama. I don't need to rehash it. Um, but he eventually agreed to the contract on July 31st, at least according to reports. Um, so I would maybe set the the over under, if you would. Uh, does it happen in July or does it happen in early August? That's kind of the cutoff point, and it's where it's kind of been in the past for the 49ers. If it's going to happen, not if, it's going to happen. The question is, is it going to happen within the first few days of training camp, or will it take a little bit more negotiation? I can 100% promise you that it will happen. It's just a question of exactly when. Uh, you're right, that is a question, and it's a big one because he's going to get paid. The question for me, and I think you would agree, and I think you were getting to this, isn't necessarily about when or if it's even going to happen. It's just simply the question, 
how much freaking money is it going to be? Because it is going to be absolutely massive. He will be the highest paid defensive player in NFL history, uh, at least for a short period of time. The, the market always resets when you have a generational talent like this uh, become uh, an extension eligible. Um, but that is the only question around the Nick Bosa larger question, Evan, because there's no doubt in my mind that he will sign something soon. It's just a question of uh, how much is he resetting the market by? Yeah, and look, if we're having to throw a number out there, I think Aaron Donald is the highest paid defensive player at about $30 million per year. I wouldn't be shocked to see Nick Bosa get five, pardon me, uh, uh, what is it? Four years for a hundred and if I'm doing the math correctly, 140 million, 35 million per year. To me, I don't yeah. think that's out of bounds. And that might even be, you know, just a, a contract negotiation of how many years versus the AAV. Um, whatever they can do to max them out, they're going to. Like Nick yes. Bosa is going to reset records, not only for defensive players, Mark, but I also think we're going to see finally a top-notch defensive player be paid like a quarterback. And that has not happened, to my knowledge, all that often in NFL history. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's weird. We talked about this a little bit last week in relation to the running backs. I mean, part of the reason why the running backs, there isn't a lot of money for them anymore, obviously, is the nature of the position. And teams seem to have found what they feel like is a market inefficiency with some of those less expensive running backs. But you have quarterbacks like Daniel Jones, for example, making $40 million a year. And the Giants are looking at Saquon Barkley like, hey, sorry, we can't pay you. Um, now you have defensive players like Nick Bosa, who's certainly much better at what he does than Daniel Jones is at what he does. But making likely, we still have to await the numbers from Nick Bosa, but likely similar numbers to a quarterback, Daniel Jones, who got to the playoffs last year and, and so on and so forth. So you're right. It is interesting how how these positions and the money uh, kind of allotted to each of those positions continues to grow. Because, I mean, after a quarterback, you were to ask anyone with knowledge of how to build a football team, what's like the second most important position in football? You probably would get some people saying defensive back, but I think most people would say a pass rusher. And obviously that's what Nick Bosa is. Maybe offensive line left tackle would be up there as well. Um, but Nick Bosa is a building block and people like him edge rushers, elite edge rushers, even interior defensive linemen who aren't generally the good uh, edge or pass rushers. Uh, those guys are building blocks of rosters and perhaps only pale to, to quarterbacks in terms of importance and in, in your ability to, to win games. Well, and if we're talking about the importance on the Fort Anders roster, he's not a building block. Nick Bosa <laughs> is the, the building yeah. block. Yeah, like That's why we're talking about him getting the amount of money that he is duly deserved because he's coming off a defensive player of the year. He is just entering his prime. He's got a lot of great football left in him. And most importantly, he can impact winning right now. So yes, quarterback is the most important position in football. The 49ers, and we'll get to it, have not really figured that out yet so far, even though Brock Purdy is expected to be their number one quarterback entering this season. So right now, Nick Bosa is the building block. And, and look, I mean, we're talking about what positions are important to be paid as far as you know general NFL teams. Um, but with the 49ers, look, you know, Nick Bosa is at the top of the list. Uh, Trent Williams is obviously up there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you're looking around at the contracts, Mark, and Debo Samuel on that 
near $25 million, you know, number per year is jumping out at you. Like this guy had better be a building block for the 49ers this season. Not to say that he wasn't last year, but if you're talking about list of an importance and the players that kind of keyed the success for the 49ers last season is Debo Samuel in your top five. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I don't know. I'm not I saying mean, he can't be this season, but last year he was not giving yeah. you the production as far as the money is concerned. Probably not. I mean, even if you just look at the offense, I mean, once, you know, post McCaffrey acquisition, McCaffrey was the most important skill position player, bar none, not even a question. George Kittle had a fantastic end to the regular season. Uh, and it kind of coincided with Brock Purdy's rise was George Kittle having a, a great season. Brandon Ayuk was the team's leading receiver really all year long. That didn't really change towards the end of the regular season either. And I mean, you could always throw Trent Williams in there, despite the fact that the line was a little more experienced last year than it will be this coming year. But Trent Williams, maybe the best pure football player in the entire league, despite at his uh, advanced age, for an elite offensive lineman, I'm 100% with you. I don't, I don't think you can call Debo Samuel one of the team's five most important players last year. It's even debatable that he's one of the five most important offensive players last year. So um, I am also keeping an eye on Debo Samuel, and it's something I, I want to get into a little bit in our next segment when it comes to position battles um, because I think there's something really interesting brewing in the wide receiver room. Um, but you're 100% right. Debo Samuel with his offseason workouts – which he didn't have any of last year. Remember uh, when he spoke earlier in the offseason, I think at OTAs, uh, you know, at the 49ers facility, saying things along the lines of, well, there was, you know, all that drama and distraction last offseason. I didn't really have the ability to, to come in and get my work in. And I felt like I was a little behind the eight ball. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, obviously. But that hasn't really been the case this offseason. I don't know if you've seen him. I've certainly seen a lot of, you know, his workout videos on Instagram, they get all the 49er fans fired up. You've seen a lot of those over the last month and a half or so from Debo Samuel. So does that translate? Does he look more like the 2021 Debo as opposed to the 2022 Debo? I don't know. But if he does, uh, this 49er offense might reach a, a different level. This is the 415ers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. That's Mark Grandy. I'm Evan Giddings. Check us out on the Odyssey app. Download, rate, subscribe. Also on the 95.7 The Game YouTube channel. Like and subscribe while you are there. Okay, Mark. Well, let's let's just get right to it. Kind of the, the biggest position battles to watch for in training camp. And you alluded to the wide receivers room. And I'm, I'm interested in what you think could be going on there because I have a couple of positions that I'll be looking at a bit more intently uh, but it sounds like it's not necessarily about who's going to be in that room as opposed to what the hierarchy of that room will be. Exactly right. This is maybe wouldn't be my my top position battle to watch for because it's, it's not really a position battle in the sense of one of these guys is the starter and one of them isn't. I think it's the battle for who's wide receiver won this year. I think it's going to be a fascinating story all season long because you have, as we just laid out, what Debo Samuel is trying to prove this season. 2021, he was an all-pro, the most unique offensive weapon in the entire league. Last year, not all that important to the team's success. I, it, it feels 
wrong to say that, but he had a couple of crazy moments here or there. That wild catch and run against the Rams early in the season stands out to me, but he didn't have nearly the kind of season that he did in 2021. And now he's had an entire offseason where it feels like he's better equipped and more prepared to come in and dominate again. So how does that look? And then you have on the other side, Brandon Ayuk, who's entering his contract extension year, a year from now, exactly 12 months from now. We will not be talking about Nick Bosa's potential contract extension. We will be talking about Brandon Ayuk's potential contract extension if the 49ers haven't already moved on from him at this point next year. That's a question as well. So Ayuk, assuming he wants to stay a 49er, and he's a California kid, I think he does. How is he going to show out in this year, which is really important for his future in the NFL? Again, it was Debo Samuel's 2021 year that catapulted him into the contract he currently has that he got 12 years ago. Does Brandon Ayuk have a similar jump forward? I think we're going to see a competition here between Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel. It'll kick off in training camp, but I think it will continue all season long not in a a way that's going to hurt the team or damage the team's chances at winning games, but just uh, in a way in which these two guys are both trying to assert their dominance and show that they are the number one wide receiver for an offense that shouldn't have too much difficulty putting up some points. And it's really already started. Earlier this week, uh, Brandon Ayuk on Instagram put up a post, and, and one of the lines was, Something along the lines of, hey, and if you're wearing a white jersey, which means, hey, my defensive guys in training camp. And then it was the the middle finger emoji like it. F you is basically what he said. And it's obviously good natured and fun, but it seems like he is a man on a mission entering this training camp, Evan. So I am just fascinated watching the battle for wide receiver one between Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk, because I think this can be a storyline literally all season long. Yeah, and to support your point, you look at the 2024 cap hits. Uh, who's number one? Debo Samuel, yep. 28 million. Brandon Ayuk is going to be looking at a $14 million cap hit. That is half. And so if he is a more productive receiver this season, there could be decisions that come in this offseason uh, that will affect both of them. I, I'm I'm with you. I like I, I do think it's interesting. It's interesting, interesting to find out who that top guy is going to be on the outside. Um, but to me, Look, it's it's got to revolve around the quarterbacks. I know that we spent time discussing Brock Purdy and the likelihood of him being available to start week one, September 10th in Pittsburgh. But to me, because of the history of the position and also what's at stake for the two guys behind Brock Purdy, I think the backup quarterback position is what everyone is going to have their eyes on and really maybe the most intriguing storyline in all of NFL training camps just because of how much of a question mark the quarterback seems to be in San Francisco. This is a massive, massive training camp for Trey Lance, as well as Sam Darnold. And I would go so far as to say that the winner of the QB2 job in San Francisco is going to change their career arc for the better or for the worse. We talk about how Sam Darnold was brought in this offseason for a hefty price, right? $4.5 million. That's a lot to be a QB three. And so that might kind of tell you that, you know, maybe he's got the inside track to the backup job. That's going to be up for grabs because they're both going to be getting first team reps as they did in OTAs. But 
If you take a look ahead at what Trey Lance has coming his way financially in 2024, there's an $11 million cap hit for Trey Lance. I cannot imagine the San Francisco 49ers wanting that on their ledger if he's the third string quarterback this season. So to me, if Trey Lance can't beat out Sam Donald for the backup job, maybe he's not given a fair shake. Maybe he can't earn it. There's been a lot of videos circulating about his new throwing motion. He looks great. We'll see what happens when he steps behind center. But if Trey Lance can't be QB2 in 2023 because of the amount of money that he is owed, I, I, Mark, I can't see him being in a 49ers uniform next season. Nevertheless, finishing out his contract in Santa Clara and getting that fifth year that everyone had hoped he would as the number three overall pick. So that kind of drags my memory and gets me thinking about this a little bit. If you were to put like a percentage chance, uh, you know, so-and-so makes the the team's week one roster, they make the 53-man roster. Obviously, Brock Purdy is 100% a lock. Like there, there's no question about it. He's, he's making the team's roster. I would venture to guess that Sam Darnold has a higher possibility of being on the roster than Trey Lance. And I only say that not necessarily because I think Sam Darnold is a much better quarterback than Trey Lance, but Sam Darnold was signed this offseason by the 49ers, obviously with the intention of him being on the roster and not saying that the intention isn't to have Trey Lance on the roster, but who is potentially more likely to be traded. It's Trey Lance. So as wild as it might seem, Evan, I think Sam Darnold is the second most likely player quarterback to be on the 49ers roster. And what might, uh, I don't know, lead that into happening? What might lead Trey Lance to not being on the 49ers roster? It's if potentially Sam Darnold beats out Trey Lance for QB2 spot. The 49ers still seem at least somewhat okay with, uh, you know, Brandon Allen. and then. Some other team comes knocking, maybe a, a, a Tampa Bay. Uh, who knows who else might come knocking to, to try to acquire a Trey Lance. Um, that's just something that that kind of popped into my mind as you were talking about that battle for QB2. There is a world, Evan, in which Trey Lance isn't on the roster come week one for the 49ers, not because the Niners cut him and didn't make the team, but because of what else happened around Trey Lance at the quarterback position in training camp that the 49ers felt comfortable moving off of him. I'm not saying I think it's going to happen, but there is a, a world in which something like that could happen. No, I wouldn't rule anything out at this point. I still see Trey Lance's value being more to the 49ers than to anyone else Probably, in which yeah. they would receive anything in a trade. And that's the primary reason. It's not a good reason, but that's the primary reason why I think he's still in Santa Clara. If they could have gotten something worth of value this offseason, I, I think there would have been more than just smoke and the rumors surrounding different teams in Trey Lance. I think there would have been some fire, too. Uh, as far as other position battles to watch for, to me, I think, look, we're talking about Nick Bosa, discussing him earlier. Who's going to be his running mate on the opposite side? Mm -hmm. That left, uh, left or right defensive end spot opposite Nick Bosa. Is it going to be Drake Jackson? Well, ideally, he's got the inside track of the job, but he was a bit disappointing in his rookie season. So he's got to make a big jump. Is it going to be Cleveland Farrell? Austin Bryant was brought in this offseason. There's not a whole lot of depth at defensive end beyond Nick Bosa. And not to say you're assuming in injury, but if Nick Bosa misses a couple of games this season, Mark, they're very thin at that spot. And so I'm looking to see who's going to step up and make their presence known because that is a very important position and has been in the past for the 49ers. 
Yeah, I think it's also uh, something to keep an eye on in terms of the interior of the defensive line as well, because you're right, they don't have a lot of depth there either. I mean, you have Armstead and Hargrave who are locks when healthy to start there alongside Nick Bosa and then most likely Drake Jackson, as you said. Um, Javon Kinlaw is a lock to make the roster, but nowhere near a lock to stay healthy and have an effective season. What else do they have on the interior? So I'm not necessarily looking at a position battle in terms of a starter on the interior of the defensive line, but who's, who's your number one guy? I mean, Armstead and, and Hargrave aren't playing every snap. Who are you rotating in on a consistent basis to spell those guys? I'll be keeping an eye on that. Another one on the defensive side, uh, it's the 49ers highest draft pick Jair Brown. Uh, is he going to be able to unseat potentially to Sean Gibson early in his rookie season, it all it all signs point towards it happening eventually. Evan Gibson signed to just a one year contract. I wouldn't be shocked at all if, say, by week ten, Brown is starting games, whether it's because of an injury elsewhere or he just popped enough and and you know deserved to be the starter. How quickly does that process take place? Is it something you can see developing in the cards right now as camp opens? That's one that I'll be keeping an eye on, because if there is a rookie who can burst onto the scene, Evan, it's most likely him. A big reason, of course, he was the Ford Niners top pick, which doesn't guarantee anything. But he was also drafted into a position group where it seems like even right now he's already one spot away from starting. There are some other options, um, but you can't really say that on all of the other spots. So uh, Jair Brown, I'll be uh, keeping a close eye on him. And if potentially he's able to to unseat uh, Tashawn Gibson early on at that safety spot alongside Talanoa Hufanga. Yeah, I mean, obviously out, outside of Jake Moody, uh, who's going to probably be, be the starting kicker, yeah. I, I would say Jair Brown is is definitely a rookie to keep your eyes on. Um, I would also throw Cameron Latu into that mix, not necessarily because George, George Kittle isn't a great tight end, nor is, is Charlie Warner, Ross Dwelly. But just because I, I think that when you when you spend that high of a pick on a guy, you're expecting him to at least challenge for a rotating spot at tight end, uh, mainly looking at Warner and Dwelly, who have been kind of underwhelming. Yeah. Warner's on the last year of his rookie deal. Uh, Dwelly is not necessarily outstanding, and they've been looking for someone as kind of an heir apparent to George Kittle. They haven't found him yet but uh, could be Cameron Latu. So yeah, Moody, Brown, and Latu, I think, are the three. And of course, those were their three third-round picks. This is the 4 on Fivers podcast brought to you by the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network with 95.7 The Game. That's Mark Grandy. I'm Evan Giddings. This is your 49ers training camp primer. Is You're hearing it on Tuesday, recording a day before, but still just so much to dig into, Mark. And of course, make sure to download the Odyssey app while you're there in the process. Um as far as non-quarterbacks that had the most to prove in training camp, you know we've we've dug into a few, a couple of the rookies that we named, um, discussed you know who's going to be playing opposite Nick Bosa, who's going to be giving and providing defensive line depth, uh, you know could it be someone in the secondary that's stepping up? I don't know. Where does your mind go when you hear the non-quarterback that has the most to prove? For me, this was a, a pretty easy answer. There are others I considered, but this for me seems to be the clear number one. Uh, I think it's the right tackle, Colton McKivitz. How does he look in his first year, his first training camp, entering his first year as the team's starter on that right edge? 
Uh, Mike Wilgunchi has held down that spot for a really long time, kind of reading the tea leaves. It seems relatively clear that the 49ers expect him to be a step back in terms of run blocking from that right tackle spot. Mike McGlinchey, one of the better run blockers in the league from the right tackle position. Uh, you wouldn't really believe it based on how he's talked about on 49ers Twitter. And the reason is because McGlinchey, not very good in terms of pass protection. That's where the 49ers expect McKivitz to be a step forward, but again, a step back most likely in terms of run blocking. Is that actually the case? We finally are going to get a look at him as the team's really entrenched starter at right tackle. It would take something really, really wild in training camp for Mike, or pardon me, for Colton McKivitz to not start week one, aside from an injury, of course. It would take someone absolutely bursting onto the scene or McKivitz shriveling under the pressure of being the team starter for him not to start week one in Pittsburgh. Um, so how does he how does he perform? Does he do what we expect better as a as a pass protector, but worse as a run blocker? Does he take this position and run with it? Does it become an area of weakness for the 49ers all season long? It's going to be a gigantic talking point, especially if he struggles early because the 49ers decided to spend money elsewhere, Javon Hargrave on the defensive line instead of on the offensive line. That could be a decision that comes back to bite them. And I'm not saying we're going to know about it immediately in training camp, but it's always nice uh, to get some early returns on the guy that you basically handed the starting job to. So for me, who has the most to prove? It's McKivitz. Prove that you are indeed a full-time starter in this league. Yeah, I, I mean, look, he's the guy that I think everyone is is kind of curious about. But it's it's interesting because the 49ers, the way that this offseason unfolded, have by their action told us that apparently Colt McKivitz doesn't have a lot to prove because you didn't bring anybody in to challenge at the right tackle spot. In fact, the only place you really brought in some veteran presence on the line was in the interior with John Feliciano. I don't expect him to be the starting center nor guard positions, but outside of right, I'd say outside of Feliciano, um, Jalen Moore is probably the next you know possible yeah. guy that could be playing right tackle. And I don't think anybody expects him to. So it's Colton McKivitz's job to lose, yes. But it doesn't feel very likely that with who else is around him that he's going to bit, going to lose that job. So I agree he does have a lot to prove. But I'm just, again, curious why the 49ers feel so confident in him. And uh, look, I, I, I can't wait to see him. The other thing, Mark, that I think is uh, interesting, I, I know that he's a rookie and expectations are kind of set at a low bar for those players. But Jake Moody's got some big shoes to fill. Uh, Robbie Gold is someone that I think people took for granted a lot in mm -hmm. San Francisco, and the key position never gets a lot of you know eyes on it. But Jake Moody had better be damn good, not just because of who he's coming in to replace, but because of where he was drafted in the third round, and the 49ers actually used capital to go get him. So they believe a lot in him as well. I think he has a lot to prove. And then finally, this may be kind of out of left field, and he won't get to prove it until the games start. But to me, Steve Wilkes has got a lot to prove as the new defensive yep. coordinator. Like, you are taking over arguably the best defense in football, the most talented defense in football, 
And throughout the offseason, we've heard him discuss how he wants to get more aggressive with blitzing, wants to use those sideline-to-sideline linebackers and Drake Greenlaw and Fred Warner. But he has huge shoes to fill, as did D'Amico Ryans when Robert Sala left. D'Amico Ryans did a fantastic job. In fact, in some areas, you could argue elevated this defense. Steve Wilkes is going to have the same expectation to do the same now in a year that is very pivotal for the 49ers. So I, I think I, I think you're spot on about McKivitz. I think Jake Moody maybe unfairly has a lot to prove. Uh, but then also the defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, I got my eyes on you. No, I'm 100% with you. And he, you know, promised Kyle Shanahan during the process when the 49ers were figuring out who their next defensive coordinator was going to be. You know, he essentially promised Kyle Shanahan, like, hey, I'm not planning to come in and, and change everything, but he is an out of the building hire. I mean, uh, D'Amico Ryans worked under the same 49ers coaching staff, worked under Robert Sala. Now you go outside of the building and hire someone else who, again, has told the 49ers and, of course, isn't going to go back on his word that he's going to keep, you know, the 49ers base defense the same. He's not going to make sweeping changes. But where does he make changes? Uh, does he end up blitzing a little bit more? Does he have a, a preference to play, you know, zone more than the 49ers have in the past, whatever the situation is? So keeping an eye out on that, not necessarily something we're going to learn from just watching training camp drills. We might get a bit of an idea during preseason games, uh, but that's certainly something that everyone will be keeping an eye on when the regular season does begin. How does this 49ers defense look and feel a little bit different this year under the new defensive coordinator, Steve Wilkes, as opposed to in the past under the previous two defensive coordinators and Sala and Ryan. So I'm with you. I am interested in that. Another position on the defensive side of the ball that I'm keeping an eye on. It isn't, I guess this might not really fall under who has the most to prove necessarily. It's not the starting linebacker spots. Those are obviously filled by by two incredible linebackers for the 49ers and Fred Warner and uh, Dre Greenlaw. But you don't have Aziz Alshire anymore, and he was just a, a great fill-in. Dre Greenlaw has had his injury history. He's been known to miss some games here or there. And when the 49ers have had Aziz Alshire, he's been great at filling in. It almost feels like at times the Niners' defense hadn't really missed that much of a beat despite an injury to a, a great linebacker in Dre Greenlaw. So who steps in to become the next uh, Aziz Alshire, I guess essentially is the question. There is an opening there for a number of different guys. Demetrius Flanagan Fowles is probably the guy in this list who we've seen the most of playing that position. Oren Burks has been more of a special teams ace in his career, but he has an ability to play that role as the third linebacker, fill in if there's an injury. And then you have a rookie in D. Winters. Uh, Marcelino McCrary Ball out of Indiana was a, a camp darling last year uh, and, and seems to have had a good offseason again this year. Um, so maybe ne not necessarily the most to prove, but someone who has a ton to gain I think is that reserve linebacking crew and whichever one emerges as the number three linebacker is a guy we could see knock on wood a lot of if there is an injury, which there has been in the past. Yeah, I, I like that. And I think it's an important position based on how the 49ers use their linebackers uh, in many ways to cover up, to cover up sometimes uh, members of their secondary. Yeah, I think also maybe it's not anyone to keep an eye on just yet. Uh, but to me, 
I will have my eyes on Elijah Mitchell and that second running back spot. Number one, because I, based on the, the history at the running back spot for the 49ers, there might be an injury coming to Christian McCaffrey. That's one. Even if he stays healthy, Elijah Mitchell is kind of, and that second running back spot is used in many ways to keep Christian McCaffrey healthy, but also because Elijah Mitchell only played five games last year. And the 49ers have had some great success at finding key running backs later in rounds or even undrafted ones. And Jordan Mason looks primed to take a big step up. Like he looked like the number two back in that Seattle game in the, in the playoffs last year, kind of icing it with a late run. Um, I think he's a little more physical than Elijah Mitchell. He runs hard. When I see him run, I see someone like Isaac Pacheco with the Kansas City Chiefs, someone that just continues to turn the legs and gobbles up yards with ease. I think he averaged like six yards a pop last year. So I think Jordan Mason has a chance to take a big step up, certainly over Ty Davis-Price for the third spot, but maybe even Elijah Mitchell if he's not careful. And the other reason is, Mark, you know, just kind of looking at some of the undrafted free agents, this kid, Kalen Laybourne, at a Marshall pretty much has the exact same physical attributes as Elijah Mitchell. He's about five, nine, five, 10, 200 pounds runs a four, four. And last year at Marshall had over 300 carries. So he's pretty durable. I'm not saying he's going to beat out any of the guys in front of him, but when you look at kind of the, 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 the names on paper, the measurables on paper, there are some people that can provide similar, I would say production to someone like Elijah Mitchell. And again, he's only a six-round pick. So it's not as if we haven't seen other running backs step up and kind of reorganize the room. It all starts with number 23. But after that, I do think Elijah Mitchell is going to need to have a big camp. Yeah. No, I mean, the 49ers, as we talk a lot about, as much as they went through quarterbacks last year, uh, they go through running backs a lot too. McCaffrey was very healthy in his time with the 49ers last year. Um, but the good news is if there is an injury, you do have bodies there to fill that. I mean, the 49ers went into camp this time last year with Elijah Mitchell and what Jeff Wilson Jr. Uh, and then, you know, you had your young guys that are currently serving most likely as running back three and four in Jordan Mason and, and Ty Davis price. Um, so that reserve running back role is really important. Uh, one more before we do wrap up, this is kind of pretty deep in the weeds, but one guy that I'm super excited that is a 49er, who's probably not going to get a lot of time, uh, on the club, assuming that he makes the 53 man roster. It is who will likely slot in as the backup fullback behind Kyle use This could be use Final year as a 49er, you look at his contract, and this could be it for him. Jack Coletto could be the heir apparent. Jack Coletto, an Oregon State guy, so me, a duck, talking this guy up, it must mean something uh, because he won last year the Paul Hornung Award, uh, Hornung Award in the NCAA, which is the most versatile college football player. He's a fullback. He's played some quarterback. He's played some linebacker. He can catch passes. The 49ers have shoved him into that fullback role, but to learn from Kyle Juszczyk, who is the most versatile fullback in the entire NFL. So I think you're going to hear some things from camp from Jack Coletto. That, that's just my prediction. He's going to be a name that 49er fans begin to learn about and they begin to know. 
because my prediction is this is Kyle Juszczyk's final year as a 49er. I know I'm getting ahead of myself thinking ahead 12 more months, but I think he'll be the team's Kyle Juszczyk moving on 2024 and beyond. Put it in the cap. 2024, a new fullback in Santa Clara. (laughs) Uh, No, it's a lot of fun. Look, we're going to be keeping an eye on all these positions, even some that seem like they're a foregone conclusion, kind of like Mark alluded to with with the wide receivers. You never know how they're actually going to be shuffled as far as one, two, three, four, and beyond for some positions, especially... Uh, you know, some backup defensive linemen, even in the secondary, there's a couple of, I think, cornerback spots that could be up for grabs towards the back end. Um, you're looking at the offensive line. Who's going to be the rotating tackle? Who's going to be backing up the interior? Who's going to grab those starting spots? We'll have that for you coming up on our future four and fivers episodes, as well as hopefully some interesting sound because Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are supposed are supposed to speak later today as you're listening on Tuesday. And that is because NFL training camp has begun. The San Francisco 49ers 2023 season is officially underway because the boys are back in Santa Clara at Levi's Stadium. And the 415ers will be covering all season long here on the Odyssey app. Download it, subscribe to it, rate us while you're there. Check us out on 95.7 The Game's YouTube channel. Like and subscribe while you're there as well. That is Mark Randy. I'm Emmy Giddings. We'll be back on Thursday or your second episode of the week. In the meantime, enjoy the beginning of 49ers training camp. Yes. We'll talk to you next time.